Good morning, everyone. Great to see you here today. I, too, am thankful we do not have 77 inches of snow. Although when I was growing up in Texas, I used to dream about stuff like that. I thought, you know, up north, which was everywhere from Oklahoma on, up north, you know, they have all this snow, and they can big, dig tunnels in it and make forts out of it and everything. But, the, of course, the best thing was if we got two inches of snow, we got out of school. And 77 inches, we'd have been out for two or three years with that. And that well, that just would have been wonderful. But with age comes wisdom, and uh, now I don't want that. Uh, sorry, kids, but... We don't want 77 inches of snow. Good to see everybody here this morning. Thank you to all of you who participated in the workshop this weekend. It was uplifting. Uh, it was sobering. It was good to think in uh, the directions of the future uh, and uh, how we might serve the Lord in even a better way here at this church. We read in, we read in Acts chapter 6 about the early church in Jerusalem. They were on a roll. They were right where, I guess, just about every church wishes it always was. They were increasing in number, chapter 6 and verse 1 says. They had endured persecution by the uh, synagogue. The local Jewish authorities had threatened the apostles that if they didn't stop preaching in Jesus' name, they might even kill them, or at least imprison them. They beat them, and they kept right on preaching anyway, even though they were beaten for it. And the last verse of chapter 5 says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They just kept right on. And the church just kept right on growing. But you know, the devil couldn't sit by and let that happen. He never can. Anytime a church is doing what the church ought to do, he's going to try to stop it. And that's what you read about in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Verse 1 says, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, all right, things are going well. This is exactly what should be happening. Verse, the verse says, but a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Have you ever noticed how often complaining puts a stop to good church work? Complaining can kill good church work just about quicker than anything. And so things are in danger of coming to a halt. That's exactly what the devil wanted. And you've got this complaining, this murmuring going on by these Hellenists against the Hebrews. Now, who are these two groups of people? We need to be clear about this. The Hellenists and the Hebrews, or in the version that uh, Greg was reading from, the Grecians and the Hebrews. The Hellenists or the Grecians were Hellenistic Jews. All of these people are Jews. Understand that. They all share the Jewish faith, but they're not all from the same background. Remember that the day of Pentecost, just a few chapters before, but it had been about five years before, the day of Pentecost had drawn Jews from all over the Mediterranean world as it always did. And so some of these were Hellenistic Jews. They grew up out in the Hellenistic world. They grew out in the world that was uh, under Greek influence, and probably Greek was their primary language. And so they had a bit of a different cultural uh, background. And a lot of them, you wonder, well, why are they still in Jerusalem five years later? They're in Jerusalem five years later, uh, probably because a lot of them moved there. Uh, a lot of Hellenistic Jews like to move to Jerusalem in their old age so they could die there in the holy city. 
and that would naturally leave a lot of widows there. So there are a lot of Hellenists there, a lot of Hellenistic Jews. The Hebrews, on the other hand, are the, the Hebraic Jews, uh, the, um, the Hebrew. The NIV calls them Hebraic Jews. I don't find that expression too helpful. Uh, do you? The Hebraic Jews, they are Palestinian Jews. They are Aramaic speakers. So you've got people from two different, basically, ethnic backgrounds. They share the same religion, but they're from different ethnic backgrounds. They have different languages, and very likely they sort of eye one another with a little bit of suspicion. You know, the, the Hellenistic Jews probably think the ones in Palestine or from Palestine are a little bit provincial and, and narrow, and, and the ones in Palestine are probably a little bit suspicious of those guys that live out there in the liberal world, you know, among all those Greeks. So the stage is set for a conflict, for a problem. The Hellenists believed that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. What's that about? Well, the church was following the model of the synagogue in providing every day for people who were in need, particularly for widows. And they would go around and they would either give them sufficient money for food for the day or they'd give them sufficient food for the day. And the early church was doing that uh, as well. And there probably were a lot of widows, both uh, Hellenistic widows and uh, Palestinian widows in Jerusalem because so many people did want to move there in old age. And usually the men would die first and then you would leave, would leave all of these, these widows. But the Hellenists felt like that their widows were being neglected, that somehow uh, the uh, distribution is not equitable. They are not getting the same thing as the Hebraic uh, Jews and so they uh, believe that, they, that, that the uh, distribution is not equitable. doesn't mean that it was intentional. Luke's language leads me to believe that they were right because he doesn't say, that, that, it doesn't say anything that would lead you to believe that it wasn't really that, uh, that way. Uh, I think the Hellenists were right. They weren't being neglected. It wasn't intentional. It was just happening. And so something has to be done. Now, that may not sound like such a big deal to us, that, that this food program, as we might look at it in the early church, this feeding program was not going exactly the way everybody wanted to. So big deal. Well, it was a big deal. In fact, it was a huge deal because it wasn't just about bread. It was about their unity in Christ. It was about their fellowship. It was about the danger that the church might, at this very early stage, divide into Hellenistic church and Jewish church and Hebraic church. And what a tragedy that would have been. That would have been exactly what the devil would have wanted. The need was real and needed to be met. Something had to, had to happen. Something had to help this situation to meet the need and also to prevent the disunity that was about to come about. So the apostles did an amazing thing. And the reason it's amazing is because the apostles did it. Notice what verse 2 says. They summoned the full number of the disciples. The Greek literally says they summoned the multitude of the disciples. They, they summoned everybody. They had everybody get together, and they laid out a plan. They laid out a plan. Now, first, they recognized that it was not right for them to give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That's the first thing they said. Listen, folks, it's not right for us to give up the ministry of the word in order to serve tables. Now, they weren't too good to serve tables. Remember, these men all died for their faith eventually, except for one. They're not too good to serve tables, 
But here's the thing. They have a ministry that only they can fulfill. They were eyewitnesses of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. All these other people weren't. So they've got to keep on being the eyewitnesses. That's what Jesus called them for. That's their task. That's their God-given role. And they said, we can't walk away from that in order to serve tables. And they were right about that. So, verse 3, they told the whole church to pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. I want you to notice something. Even to serve tables, even to distribute bread, people had to have spiritual qualifications. They laid out the qualities that were necessary for this. Anything that's important enough for the church to do is important enough to be done by spiritual people, by spiritually qualified people. Don't just stick anybody in there. You want to get people who, who have the right qualities. And so here are the three requirements they laid out. They said they've got to be of good repute. Got to have good reputations. Why? So everybody will trust them. So that neither side, neither the Hellenists nor the Hebrews will be saying, I wonder if those guys are doing that right. They've got their good repute. Everybody trusts them. They are full of the Spirit. In other words, they're obviously living Christ-like lives. They're people who want to do what God wants them to do. And they're to be full of wisdom. They're going to need it, aren't they? You've got a situation here that's potentially explosive. And they're going to need wisdom to know how to manage that so that it doesn't become a bigger problem. So they've got to be of good repute. They've got to be full of the Holy Spirit. And they've got to be full of wisdom in order to do the job that's laid out before them. And then the apostles say in verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So they're talking about a division of the labor here. We will keep doing what only we can do. And you choose seven men to do the rest of this, to take care of this need of the widows. Verse 5 says, what they said pleased the whole gathering. It pleased all the multitude, literally. Everyone bought into the plan. Everyone owned it. Everyone accepted responsibility for it. And so they chose seven men, Acts says. You know, the interesting thing about these seven men is they all seven have Greek names. The Hellenists were the ones who were upset. The Hellenists were the ones who were complaining. And so what did they do? The group said, well, just so there's no question about it, they chose seven Hellenists to take care of this need. So there'd be no question about the fairness. And look at the wisdom in that. They can speak the language that the widows speak. If there are cultural sensitivities among the Hellenistic Jews, it might not be there among the, the uh, uh, Hebrews. They'll be aware of that. They'll know how to carry it out. They'll be trusted. They'll be trusted by all. Uh, and so uh, they brought them, verse 6 says, and presented these seven to the apostles. And the apostles prayed, and they laid hands on them, commissioning them to the task at hand. John B. Polehill, in his commentary on the book of Acts, says this, It's important to note that the congregation made the selection. The apostles assumed the leadership in making the proposal, but they left final approval of the plan and selection of the seven to the congregational decision. And it was a good move, because look at verse 7. Here's the result. 
And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You know, back in Acts chapter 2, it says day by day people were being added to the church. Now we're told that the number of the disciples is multiplying. It's multiplying greatly in Jerusalem. The problem was identified, the problem was faced, the problem was resolved, and, and as a result, the obstacle to the church's growth went away. The obstacle went away and the gospel continued to spread because after all, that's what it was all about, wasn't it? It was all about the gospel spreading. It wasn't about who got what bread. It wasn't about who did what. It was about the spreading of the gospel and they handled this in such a way that the gospel <laughs> continued to spread. Now, here's the point not to miss in this. Even though the church in Jerusalem still had apostles the apostles didn't choose the seven men. I always find that interesting. I would have thought that would have been the natural thing to do. The apostles would have said, okay, you, 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 and you are going to be the seven. That would have been the end of it. But rather, they summoned the whole body of the disciples and had them do it. Why? Here's the reason. Because the apostles knew better than to get distracted by work that wasn't theirs to do. They knew better than to get distracted by that. They realized how easily Satan could use this problem of the bread. Something as simple as that. And the conflict between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. How easily he could use that to get them distracted from the real business of proclaiming the message of Jesus. And bearing witness to his death and his resurrection. That could have been stopped cold had they allowed themselves to be distracted in that way. I said a couple of Sundays ago that I believe that the besetting sin of the church today is distraction. It's a distraction. We're distracted by the world. We're distracted by entertainment. We're distracted by our own desires. We're distracted by all kinds of things. Back in the mid-1950s, T.S. Eliot, the poet, wrote that we are distracted by distraction from distraction. <laughs> what in the world does that mean? If you've ever read much T.S. Eliot, that's probably the clearest thing he ever wrote. Uh, but what do you mean by that? We're distracted from distraction by distraction. He's just talking about the layers of distraction that we have in the world, things that pull us away from the things that are really the most important in life. And they're just layers of them. And this was in the mid-1950s, folks. He didn't even have a cell phone, I don't think. <laughs> think how distracted how we are compared to how they were in the 1950s. Distracted by distraction from distraction. You see, the future of the church as a whole lay in this decision that they were making. And, and it was so important for these men to keep focused on what they needed to keep focused on and not be distracted. When Nikita Khrushchev was premier of the Soviet Union, he was fond of telling a story about distraction. It seemed that some of the Soviet bosses noticed that there was a lot of pilfering going on in factories, that people were stealing materials and so forth from work and taking it home and selling it. Uh, which was understandable because they had a very low standard of living. But they had to stop this, and so they decided they would put guards at the entrances and exits of all these factories. And as the factory workers left every day, they would search them and make sure they were not taking anything that, that they shouldn't be taking out. 
One of these men was a worker by the name of Pyotr Petrovich. And Petrovich knew the guard on duty. They knew one another well. And the guard knew that Pyotr Petrovich was a very clever man. And so the first day when he was on guard and Pyotr Petrovich is leaving work, he finds him pushing a wheelbarrow with a big burlap bag in it. And so he stopped him and he said, all right, Petrovich, what's in the bag? Petrovich said, sawdust. He said, sure. And so he gets the bag and he goes through it and there's nothing but sawdust. Next day, the same thing happens. He goes through it again, nothing but sawdust. Every day that week, the same thing happened, nothing in it but sawdust. Finally, after a couple of weeks, he couldn't stand it anymore. And he said, all right, Petrovich, I won't have you arrested. I, I won't have you thrown in jail. I won't tell anybody, but tell me what it is you're stealing. And Petrovich said, wheelbarrows, comrade. <laughs> wheelbarrows. You see, the apostles were not going to get preoccupied with the sawdust and lose the wheelbarrows. They were going to pay attention to what was the most important for them to do. That's why they appointed other people to do the choosing. Another reason why they did it is because the problem involved the whole church. And so the whole church needed to work in resolving it. I think it's interesting they didn't assemble the Hellenists and just try to pacify them and say, okay, we'll give you guys extra bread. They didn't do that. They didn't assemble just the Hebrews and scold them for not treating the Hellenists better. They got the whole multitude together and they said, you've got to solve this. And here's the way to do it. They gave them guidance in doing it. They told all of them to resolve the problem, gave guidance in doing it, and then they trusted their judgment to do the selecting. You know, in the church, people need to trust their leaders, but the leaders need to trust the people too. There needs to be that mutual trust. And so the apostles were trusting the church. They're placing a very important matter in the hands of the church and saying, take care of this because it involved all of them. And another reason they did it is because the whole church had a mutual responsibility to each other. It would have been easy for them to just opt out and let others handle this, but it wouldn't have been right. They all needed to be involved. They all needed to do their part. You heard the reading at the beginning of the service from Ephesians 1, verses 16 and 17. When is the whole body at its best, Paul says? The whole body is at its best when each part is working properly. And when each part is working properly, then the church makes the body, that makes the body grow so that the church upbuilds itself in love. When each part is working properly, the body grows and upbuilds itself in love. And the apostles knew that. They saw that. And that's exactly what happens in Acts chapter 6. But it takes the whole church working together. Now, why are we talking about this today and not about 1 Peter? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I know you're sitting there. You probably wrote that down. Why are we? I'm sure you were worried about that. Here's why. We recently went through a process of reviewing and selecting shepherds. Now, there aren't many things that a church does that are more important than that. In fact, I can't think of 
anything other than the spreading of the gospel. Because the way in which the church is led has a huge impact, not only on what the church is now, but on what the church will be for years to come. So that's a very important process. Yet it's my understanding that the level of participation in that selection was pretty low. In fact, over the last several times that we've done it, it's been pretty low, maybe slightly over half. I don't know. I don't see the numbers, but I've been told that it's been pretty low. And that's really sad. That's pretty sad. That's not a healthy sign. More recently, our deacons submitted a proposal for a revision of our selection process that we've been using for the last 27 years for congregational review. Now, this new process is very different from the old one because it replaces congregational voting with the decision being made by the deacons and the ministers initially, and then in subsequent years, it will be done by the shepherds. On a Sunday night not long ago, Billy Frazier did a, did a fine job of presenting that proposal and explaining it. And he asked for feedback. And by the way, the attendance for that wasn't very good. I'll just tell you, it wasn't near what it should have been. So the whole church was not taking that seriously. He did a good job presenting it. Then we asked for written feedback and heard from only 20 people. 20 people. That's not nearly enough. There were some differences of opinion expressed in the feedback that was given, but the sampling was too small to really make a decision. So here's the problem. Almost half of us are not participating in one of the most important things that we ever do. And that's just not okay. Now, there's probably several reasons why that's the case. Somebody may say, well, I'm new to Glen Allen. I haven't been here long enough. I don't, I don't feel that it's appropriate for me to take part. Somebody else might say, but I think others understand that better than I do, so I'm just willing to let them make that decision. Others may have just thought, well, you know, it takes a while to sit and write something out, and it doesn't matter that much, so just didn't bother. There may be other reasons, but don't you suppose that all of those situations existed in the Jerusalem church as well? Don't you suppose that since believers were being added day by day, that there were people who could have said, I'm new here, you know, to the apostles. We, I need to opt out of this. Don't you suppose there were people there who could have said, so look, some of you know better than I do, or to the apostles, why don't you take care of this? You know this better than I do. Or others who just said, I'd just prefer somebody else to do it. All of those same situations could have existed in the early church in Jerusalem. I'm sure that they did. Still, the apostles assembled the whole church. And they charged them, the whole church, with the responsibility of making the selection of the men to serve the bread. To serve the bread. What do you think they would have done in, in choosing the elders? So once again, the deacons are asking that we all be prayerful about this process and that we all express either our support or our opposition to it, either way. 
whichever it is, express yourself about it. And, and for all of us to speak the truth in love so we can grow up into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together with every part by which it is supplied. When each part is working properly to make the whole body grow so that we are upbuilt in love. It takes the whole church to do that. That includes you. Your input is important. Please let your voice be heard. I'm going to turn this over to Billy.